Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. Yes. What an exciting week. The Emmys are out. I would Well, like- we're halfway there on the predictions. This is Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm Kenny Holmes. He's Robert Kraft. It's Robert Kraft, you know, a little... Listeners, you know, we had a an online poll, who you thought would predict the most winners. I lost resoundingly. <laughs> and yet... No faith. No faith, no faith in the crowd. I'm saying, you got to ride or die with me, because I'm right up in the lead there. I have some ties with me, so I didn't crush it. But it is, it's all knotted up. And composer Carol on the mic. Hey there. <laughs> oh, wow. A lot of excitement. A lot in of excitement. So She's in the three-way tie right now. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we picked seven categories last week. Yep. And four of them have been announced. And mm-hmm. the three of us are tied with two out of four. And uh, poor Mash Raider, he only has one correct answer. So uh, he... You know, I don't. He, I don't he's know hiding. I'm, I'm not taking him to Las Vegas. What did he me. say? He's doing his sock drawer again. That's right. He's got to reorganize his sock drawer. The good news for everybody: it seems that if you appear on Score the podcast, I'm just saying, heavy metal is in your future. You take home an award. It's a prerequisite, I think. We if are. You come on the show. You win an Emmy, and um, yeah, I mean, batting a thousand four winners, all four guests. This season, I believe. Well, if we we got to reach out to Nick Bertel. Nick Bertel coming up, and uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to get him. But he, we'll we'll go through those in just a second. Um, but uh, again, we want to remind our listeners about Spitfire Audio, mm-hmm. our presenting partner. If you're a composer listening right now, you probably already know about Spitfire Audio. Spitfire makes sample libraries for the world's leading film composers, including many of our guests on the show. Many of our Emmy-winning guests as well. And they record at Air Studios. Spitfire does where a lot of our Emmy Award-winning guests also record. Yeah, one of the coolest studios in the world, right, in uh, London, featured in the documentary. And um, it's an exciting time, too, because they just announced one of their newest packages, which is the BBC Symphony Orchestra. Wow. um, Which comes out on October 24th. And uh, they did a whole keynote. It was cool. like They did it like an Apple keynote. Mm. And um, it's it's super exciting, and it's it's next level. I mean, this is you, you have the BBC Symphony Orchestra at your fingertips, um, so you want to make sure to pre-order that. You can go to SpitfireAudio.com right now and pick that up. Carol, are you going to get that thing? Yeah, I can't wait. That's the right answer. <laughs> we got to get you one so but you can check a it ton out of, and yeah. tell us. Tons of other packages, though, and, um, you know, the – you can't ever have enough samples in your library when you're writing music because mm-hmm. they, they give you all these tools and um, what a time to be a composer to have these tools right at your fingertips. You used to have to just scribble on paper and hope it sounds good later at the soundstage. So you can hear it all. And uh, Spitfire has all these different packages. I'll be on one, which is kind of their starter package you can get. Um, but we have a special offer for our listeners. If you use the promo code SCORE, you get a third off the price. 33.3%. It's not 5%. It's not the tax. It's a third off, and it's a limited time only. So go check out SpitfireAudio.com if you're an aspiring composer or a composer 
kicking ass already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go go check it out. That get, would be a perspiring composer. That's true. <laughs> um, so get yeah, use that promo code while it lasts. Again, spitfireaudio.com and use the promo code score and then stick around after the show today. We're going to play you uh, a demo cue that they provide with the a demo cue that they provide to us so you can hear all the different types of sounds you can get with Spitfire. So cool. Carol's a Spitfire user. Yeah. No, I love anything Spitfire. And yeah, not that's not just because our show is sponsored by them. It's before before doing score, I've been using Spitfire. It seems everybody does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most no. of the composers we talk to are kind of like, industry standard right now. Yeah. They're 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 at the top of the game for sure. So check that out. And um speaking of being at the top of the game, the mm. Emmys came out, so let's let's break it down here. So the four the four categories that got announced over the weekend sure. are the music the the composers. Um we picked of course three shows that the comedy the drama and the miniseries also which is part of the primetime broadcast next week um, but for now let's talk about uh, the winners so we had miniseries which was uh, our friend of the show Hilder Goodnadotter go Hilder her incredible work with Chris Watson you can hear her voice It was so cool to see uh, the posts online, how, how happy she was. What a year. She's on. She's got Joker coming up. It's going I down, man. I think October 4th release. And um, I, I'm happy to also share with our listeners, if you happen to be in Ghent, Belgium, for the World Soundtrack Awards on October 17th, it's a Thursday, I'm going to be interviewing Hilder at the... World Soundtrack Awards. We're going to do a one-on-one Q&A with the audience uh, to talk about her remarkable career and what's ahead because you can imagine this is somebody who's really setting setting a benchmark for all composers. She's brilliant. Very cool. And your your interview's already warmed up. And if you haven't listened to mm-hmm. our interview with Hilder earlier this season, you can find it. Um, just scroll back. I think it was like the sixth or seventh episode of uh, season two. Yeah. So we're excited for Hilder and um, what's to come. But uh, she's already taken home a statue this award season. Which I really is... can't wait to see and hear Joker. I oh, must I'm, admit, yeah. very few movies have gotten me this, you know, like I'm going to go Thursday night at midnight mm-hmm. before it comes out. And how could I forget, our guest this week is Marco Beltrami. Uh, So just so the audience is aware, we interviewed Marco the day before he won the Emmy for Free Solo. We didn't really want to jinx it, so we didn't talk about the actual Emmys. We really skirted around the issue of the Emmys because it was a Friday and he was going on Saturday. Uh, I think off mic I said... You know, do you have a little rem- remarks prepared? And he said, you know, I don't think I'm going to win. There's really nothing to prepare. Boom. He nailed it. And listen to this music. He deserved that award. Yeah, it's it's a great score. I just picked up the vinyl. So uh, our guest this week is Marco Beltrami. Yep. And we're going to talk about Free Solo coming up in just a bit. And, of course, his amazing path through the horror genre with uh, Wes Craven and Scream and he also worked with Guillermo del Toro Yep, and um, he's got Ford v Ferrari coming out later this year which yep. is killing it in the circuit Yeah, 
Um, so congrats to Marco and Hilder. And then, of course, uh, my my prediction from last year finally came true. It was a no-brainer. Even hearing this gives me a kind of nervous in my tummy feeling. There's such a feeling in this show, Succession. I just want to go buy a mansion when I hear this song. <laughs> like, I just feel powerful and rich. And oh, man, it's it's. Yeah, Nick Bertel really hitting it out of the park with this theme. He won for best theme. And and season two is on fire already on fire. of this show. If you're not watching it, it's one of the best shows on Jump TV. Jump in there. Um, so congrats to Nick as well. And then uh, Carol with the big prediction on um, the dramatic score with uh, Ramin Javadi. G-O-T. Game of Thrones. Game of, Game Thrones. of Thrones. Taking it home. I mean, Ramin, needless to say, is just doing an incredible job with that show. He's probably increased his fan base exponentially through the live shows that he does, the Game yeah. of Thrones tour. And he's got Jack Ryan season two coming out. Just crushing it. And um, and check out our interview with Ramin, if you haven't, from last season. Yes, and I think if you ask any of these composers, they will all admit that their career was slightly hanging in the balance until they did an episode of Score the Podcast. And boom, awards. Listen to the audience. That's very them. true. Paparazzi track them wherever they go. So wow. and, and many of the nominees as well, guests on the show. And, um, you know, I, I want to reiterate that all these people, these composers are so busy and they took the time to come on the show and we're, they're part of the score, the podcast family now, and we're super excited for the winners and the nominees and um, just all around kudos to everybody who's just killing it out there and making great music for the shows and movies that we watch. I think if it's any indication of how great their music is, our votes were completely divided. And here we listen to score and television music all the time and we couldn't decide was it going to be benjamin wallfish Stephen price there were so many great contenders for yep. these awards so, david arnold yeah yep so uh we're it's it's going to be interesting this weekend with the uh the actual emmys to see who takes home the prize of the yeah. these were the, the fake emmys prediction. actually these aren't the real ones um, <laughs> the primetime emmys prime the creative time. they split it up but uh i think they're airing the broadcast of um the creative arts on Saturday, the oh, night before nice. the uh, primetime Emmy, the the main broadcast. I'd so. like to see what some of them said. Yeah, I wanted to hear some of the speeches, so we'll try and maybe we can pull a couple clips of uh, some good speeches. I next gave week. Marco. I said as I was leaving on Friday, just of course not as part of the podcast, but I said to him, "Listen, if you win, just get up there and say." This means nothing to me. <laughs> and then I asked He did him, say that, by the way. I, asked I heard him that. On Sunday, I said, uh, did, you, did you do what I said? He said, no, I think I'm going to save it for next year. <laughs> so. Uh, so, again, congrats to everybody and uh, exciting weekend ahead with the, the primetime broadcast. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then it's time to head over to Malibu, to Pianella Studios for our interview with Marco Beltrami. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, SCORE fans. It's Kenny Holmes. We're back to the show in just a second. Just a quick reminder, be sure to follow us on Twitter, at SCORE the Podcast. We post a lot of behind-the-scenes videos, and we'll also keep you up to date on who our next guest is. So make sure to go over and follow us now. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here inside Pianella Studios. Is that how I pronounce it? You did well. Perfect. And our guest today is two-time Oscar-nominated composer Marco Beltrami, who let us come to his fortress here in the in the outskirts. Are we... Robert, does this feel like your your trip to the Serengeti a little bit? We're in the middle of nowhere. Actually, Serengeti very feels quiet. very familiar. This is so remote, but so beautiful. Marco, you have really built a a wonderland here. I'm sure everyone feels it, which is also phenomenally inspiring. I would think to be in and right here. I've always felt that when I come here, which is you see these beautiful views. You drive past the ocean. Um, the blanket of clouds we saw on the way in. I I, uh, I like it here. The um, the drive for me is a chance to decompress and uh, from everything that happens during the day. Actually, it's funny you say is this reminding Africa. We do have some wildlife here. In fact, huh. just uh, last week we had a mountain lion in the yikes. That uh, well, they're they're afraid of people. You know, yeah. um, it was really hard. You feel sort of lucky you can see one. We have bobcats all the time that you see, but uh, mountain lion was really cool. That's amazing. I do wonder, I mean, you and I have sort of talked about this a little bit, but did you always have an instinct to go remote to be creative? I mean, in, can you think of... You know, uh, so much of what we do is um, exploration of sounds and... Uh, before we were at a, well, I, I think you were there. We met. I was at a little studio in the back of the house in Malibu. Yep. And uh, and then we had another place also on PCH. And it was just impossible to really experiment too much because you had always had noise. Street noise, helicopter noise, whatever. Um, so one of the things about this place was that it was so remote for the creative sense. The other was that it was so remote. It's going to take people really going to want to have to come up here. Yeah. Meaning, <laughs> meaning uh, producers and, you know, it has to be a, um, there's no like, there's no last minute pop-ins. You have to commit. No pop-ins. Yeah. 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 And and it's also great when we record here, musicians sort of plan a day. And, yes. you know, so we, we provide catering, provide food, and it's sort of a nice excursion. You know, it's not run from here and do something else. It's It's an outing. It's focused. It's yeah. wonderful, and and um, there's no cell service either, so it's you're well, focused out here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we do have a, a cell service, but I mean, you have to you have to actively connect to it. Do you find yourself staying day and night, or can you pull yourself away and end your day and go be with the fam? I usually do. I mean, out? sometimes I'll stay up here, and sometimes even uh, on the weekends, the family will come up. If you may have seen it up there, a little guest house overlooking the water and um uh it's a great place to hang i mean you saw those clouds sometimes the clouds rise and they come right to the doorstep and you feel like you're just like 
up in heaven. It's remarkable. And it makes me wonder, as I look down this phenomenal list of films, so many of which I have loved, and even a couple we've been lucky enough to work on together. In fact, the beginning of my career. You might be worth reminding me how you remember that moment, because I very distinctly remember where and how we got started together. What is your memory of it? Well, first of all, my memory of everything these days is sort of vague because Join I, the uh, club. I, um, I have very bad insomnia, so I take a lot of Ambien, and I think it affects my memory. But, um, but I do remember that I was very excited because this movie from a director that I knew at the time, Alex Proyas, was... Um, uh, looking for a score. And when I got a call to come in and meet him and meet you, and I think, you know, it was like, it was, it felt like a huge break to me. It was, I had done Scream. I had done some other movies, but I really hadn't done any studio work. I don't think outside of Miramax dimension. So this was like a, a big moment for me. I was very excited. Um, you probably don't remember because I probably don't remember. We had just met shortly before. We had met. It's the best situation of all, which is sort of last last in remains in your mind. Marco had come to my office at Fox two weeks before, just on a general meet and greet. Huh. Two or three weeks before you'd come in. In the interim, we're trying to get iRobot together and... Alex Proyas, the director, is very frustrated with his current composer. And I don't know how much of that you knew, but I actually flew to London in this kind of desperate bottom-of-the-ninth, last-ditch effort to rescue a score and a composer, and it didn't work. Were they already recording? Or were they, they hadn't recorded. Okay. He was sending demos. They weren't working. Hmm. Um, great composer, but it just wasn't... the. The fit was wrong. Fit was wrong. And on a Sunday night at a preview in Marina del Rey, Alex Proyas says very casually as we're in the lobby after the movie, he goes, you know, I'm not going to use one note of the music I've been sent. Wow. And I, everybody leaves and I panic because it's 28 days until the recording session and the movie's coming out. It's Will Smith. It's got, it's on those bus stops. Blockbuster. Around. Yeah. And, the guy says he's not going to use the music. What do we do? The next morning, I called you. Wow. And, and I tried Thank God to be, I had that meeting with you. Because I had, otherwise, I wouldn't have been right. in your head. No, you were in my head as like the last guy, and you seemed kind of cool, and I liked what you'd written. And I played something maybe for Alex that night and said, I have an idea, and it's somebody that I think would be right, and I feel confident which is a, always a good thing to say when you know inside you're kind of <laughs> hoping Marco Beltrami is like the guy who's going to knock it out. And you did the smartest thing ever. And I'll tell you, if you don't remember this, it's one of my favorite memories. I called you and said, hey, Marco, try and remain really calm because it was just cold sweat time. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing this morning? Could you come see a movie at Fox on the studio lot with me and Alex Broyas? You said, when do you want me there? I said, how soon can you get here? This was like 9.30 in the morning. And you said, I'll, I'll be there around 11. Alex Proyas actually comes to the music building to meet you with me. I and remember we're, that. We're standing on the steps 
and you pulled up on a motorcycle with a black <laughs> helmet and a black visor. <laughs> and Alex Proyas looked at me with this kind of thumbs up look like, I don't have to hear anything. That's my guy. <laughs> you just look so badass so and you funny. look like a character out of iRobot. <laughs> we went to the movie. You had some really good ideas. And maybe, a, and I said, you know, we got 28 days. You got to write everything. Maybe a day or two later, you turned in the theme. We had 28 days till delivery. Delivery. I didn't have, no. I had 17 days to write uh, the score. You're right. You're right. We had to start recording in 17 and uh, delivery. See, that I remember because and that's imprinted in my mind. I but. thought either this guy who I've never worked with, I mean, it's kind of a lesson and don't do this at home. You want to go with the guy that's proven the young lady that has scored something for you, you know will deliver. I went way out on a limb and on a gut. And thank God, you not only deliver, you crushed it. This this was my this was my opportunity. This is my if I blew this, you know, that would I wouldn't be working for Fox after that. You know, it, this this was really my moment. So there was no way that I was going to blow this. Um, you turned in all, that violin theme upside down or backwards or something two days later, and I was like high fiving everybody then. Yeah. yeah, I remember you came over to to my other studio there behind the house. I think with Alex, maybe. Maybe. And um, I was so nervous. I'm like, yeah. I I think I was too. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah. And we played it. And... Right by this point in the queue, I was saying. Yeah. It's a voice mixed with a violin. Oh, shit. Um Oh, yeah. Nice. Clutch. Fire, dude. I remember this. It, this was back in the days when we had budget for scores and we could, it was... Did we do this at, on the Fox stage? Yeah. But you did done some pre-records. Yeah, we did some stuff, uh, like the violin stuff at, at my place, but... Um, it was so such an intense experience doing this whole. There was a lot of music. I don't remember how much, but it was, it was over an hour. I probably close to ninety minutes of music. It was huge. It was a huge job. It was a and huge you job. Had to deliver it. You're right. Write it in yeah. seventeen and. Yeah, I have to say, um, well, first of all, that was a that was great. I remember that. I remember showing up on my bike. I remember being banned from going on the lot. Because the bike was too loud, no. um, <laughs> and uh, and then me thinking, because I, I I still had a reptilian brain back then. All right, I won't take the bike. I'll show these motherfuckers. And I showed up the next time we had a meeting. I had an old Corvette that had <laughs> that had glass pack mufflers on it, which was three times louder than the bike. Perfect. And I drove onto the lot. And the guy's like, huh, what? Who are you here to see? And I, and I, as I drove through, everybody's car alarm started going off. Oh, perfect. And I was driving to the stage. And I was like, all right, that's, that's yeah. payback. Hey, I didn't bring a bike. <laughs> yeah. No, but. Um, that's a rock star move right there. Oh, you don't like yeah. the bike? Wait till yeah. you see my little friend. Yeah. But um, the, um, let me tell you in truth now, like the, um, Those type of projects 
of the best. And I'll tell you why. You're writing the score really fast. There's no time for second guessing. And everybody is already sort of pre-required to love it. You know, it's, it's, um, there's no time for hemming and hawing, no time for try this, try that. It's, you go with your instincts. It's an opportunity for the composer because often we do go with our instincts and our first instincts are, if there's too much time, you know, the director is like, oh, well, can we try this? Can we do that? But in this scenario, it's always been good for me. And flip side, when I have too much time on a score and there's are times when, I've been fired too. The people that come in and replace me invariably have the same experience. Huh. So I, I just think it's very interesting. Um, so you, I'm, but I'm not complaining because it was such a, a door opening. But I'm just in the bigger perspective. So I, the, you're, you're using the deadline as a tool. It's totally a tool. Yeah. I, the only thing that would be a problem is after watching the movie, if I didn't have any ideas and I had to experiment. But I remember sitting in that theater and – before the movie was over, I knew what the theme was. Oh. Like, I, it, it was like I couldn't wait to get back and start working on it. And I think within, like, a day or two, I already had the theme to, to play for you guys. So if I had been come out of that be like, oh, no, what do I do now? Then it would have been a different situation, I think. But I, I think I was also predisposed to, to kick an ass on it. You know, I was like, huh. I'm, this is, right. there's no way this Somebody is Somebody just fail. said, you're about to go into the Super Bowl suit up. Yeah. Uh, you said, don't fail. He said, came I in am. with a loud vet, right. just ready yeah. to fire. I want to ask you a question about something you just said. Have you gone into any screenings where you the lights have come up and privately you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do? Yeah. And what do you, first of all, no directors can listen to this, so all directors close your ears. What do you say at that moment when the lights come up? Um, what do you say to the director who looks at you with big expectation? That I mean, I find if I don't have ideas, that is usually a sign of troubles with the picture. Mm. There's something that's not grabbing me. It's not going to grab other people as well. Mm. And for me, it always spells trouble. Like Because if the picture is in trouble, music's always the last resort. People are always going to blame the music mm. uh, for fixing things and for not fixing things. And is going to be an undue amount of scrutiny on the music. And that always makes me nervous. So, uh, yeah, it has happened to me. Um, you know, sometimes I'll look to the people around me, Buck, Brandon, Marcus, people that I work with, and start brainstorming. Yeah. You know, if, if, and, 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 and oftentimes, you know, I have to say Buck is really good at this. Like he'll, he'll think of something in the movie that, inspires me and then we start talking about it and um we'll find a way to get inspired but it's it's um it's always a bad sign can you talk a little bit about your connection with buck and and for the audience who doesn't know who buck sanders is he's he's i mean with you through everything yeah he's he uh i met him when i was doing scream uh he worked he well no he was uh, a friend of someone that was putting out my first score album for this tv show called land's end and he asked if his friend Buck could come to the scoring session. And after that, um, I said, yeah, I didn't know. Buck said, you know, do you need an assistant? Do you need anything? I'm like, sure, I guess, you know, and I was working out of the bedroom and, 
he came by to Xerox some scores. And before I knew it, I, I began to rely on him for his ears. I'd be playing a cue and I'd be like, what do you think of this? And he would tell me, oh, well, this is cool, but I'm not sure this is working here or whatever. And he began to fill into a role. I'm, I'm really sort of technically inept. I, I know how to turn on a computer. Um, I learned one program, Performer, before it had a digital attached to it. And, um, and that's it. And I still use that. But for things that I like to do, exploring sounds, uh, manipulating acoustical sounds and coming up with new things, some things that composers do, I really have no skills at that. And Buck is really adept at that and enjoys it. And so we often work on a sort of composer-producer relationship. But then there's also projects that are very much geared to that, and we co-score them. Uh, the Hurt Locker was one of them. We were both nominated for mm. for that. And uh, the latest film that we just did uh, called Ford v. Ferrari, which comes out later this year, uh, is another co-score that, that we did. So um, depending on our creative relationship, it, it, we often share credit. But, yeah, I mean, we've been together for uh, – it's like a marriage. So many questions. First of all, Hurt Locker and Ford v. Ferrari – which um, Ford v Ferrari is? We talked a little bit about. It, I mean, I can't it's wait. Killing it in it's the in the festival circuit, and killing it's, it. I can't wait. I I don't know if I'm biased because you know I I like you know I go to the track on Sundays with my son. We we race and we ride, um, but I I think it's the best movie I've ever done. Oh God, that's so great! And you've done so many, and in the same breath as Hurt Locker, which was incredible. The two things that are similar about that those pictures particularly tricky for a composer, they're both loud movies. And I got to imagine Ford v. Ferrari, you're weaving in and out of some engine sounds the whole time. Do you have to absolutely yeah. give it over to sound a lot of times? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, the sounds of those cars are, it's like music to me. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I bet. But, um, no, I, the, um, there are definitely moments that are, you want to hear the, the, engines but you know also uh, the whole last third of the movie is a race it's Le Mans it's a you know, mm. 25 minute long race sequence it can't be played just by engine sounds there's you know there's an emotional context to it there's a dramatic context and the score has to weave with that so you know you're feeling look it's not it's not a terribly thematic score in mm. terms of how you think it's not a traditional score it's not there's no strings in it there's mm. uh um it's much more of like a 60s vibe uh band thing 60s with, john barry small band or mancini kind of thing yeah like um like we had 15 players we had mm. we had three guitarists we had oh, a nice. drum kit we had electric bass we had piano and uh, B3, huh. and we had uh, a couple trombones and trumpets, and and that's the entire score. And we recorded the whole thing, not in stripes, but everybody there together at Capitol. And um, it has so it's sort of rough around the edges. It's funny. I actually went and looked at um, footage of the actual 1966 Le Mans, a documentary on it. 
And I was like, I'm just curious, what kind of, did they put music with it? How'd they do this? And their ensemble is almost identical to what, to what we did. And I was like, wow, that is, that's really cool. Because I didn't look at that until after we were done with it. It was just, it was sort of the director's idea to, to try to do it a little bit differently. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I think we're off our can't timeline wait. here, but yeah. No, no, it can't wait. You actually, one other thing you said about how you are not sure what to do sometimes with certain pictures and you looked a buck or something. I thought you were going to say, you know, the lights come out and you say to the director, um, great costumes. I mean, you have to kind of fumble for, you know, the lighting's I've, amazing in this movie. I've definitely fumbled. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you also uh, reminded me of something that was said by someone that I didn't know until sort of reading back a little bit about you, and I've known you for so many years, but I don't think I knew that you first came out here and worked with Jerry Goldsmith. And yeah. he is the author of one of my favorite sayings about that expression, which he taught me. We worked on The Edge, which was yeah. a really weird movie with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins about a bear. Um, I didn't see it. Oh, no one did. Um, <laughs> Jerry scored it. I had the opportunity to work with him on it was one of his last pictures and we kind of acknowledge without saying it because no composer will say to a studio dude man this this is a stinker he just would say mm, this movie you know they they might be able to get i hope they're going to be able to pull it together and i said yeah but you got to score it you got to score what's on the screen he said i always score the movie i want it to be i thought man that's that's aspirational you know yeah. you're kind of telling yourself, well, this is funnier than maybe. Is I mean, I, I love that about yeah. Jerry. By the way, I think it was that little bust on the piano that reminded you of Jerry, right? Exactly right. Yeah, because so, I saw you when you walked in, I saw you, you gave a two double glance at How Jerry. do you get a bust of Jerry Goldsmith? <laughs> <laughs> I think I got a, a Jerry Goldsmith award from one of those nice. festivals in Spain. But um, I think that's... Jerry taught me really everything I know mm. um, in terms of film scoring. I came from a classical concert background from Yale School of Music and came out here to work with Jerry. And I, coming from that world, we're hiding behind complexity in music. We're making things difficult and hard to play, uh, hard to hard to listen to. I mean, they have structure and they have integrity. But the first thing Jerry said is you have to be economical. This has to be simple as possible for the desired result, both in terms of playability but in terms of the idea. And I remember when I had to do The Omen for Fox and Jerry, I'd study Jerry's score for that and you can reduce his score down to three notes. Mm -hmm. And and pretty much everything in his score comes from those three notes. And I and I was, and still am, always have that in the back of my head, you know. But going to the point of what what you said, because Jerry was a very frustrated guy too, hmm. um, and I found working with him that he could either be really exuberant and excited about ideas, but he could also get really depressed and. I find I fall into that trap An as artist. well. Well, and I think part of it is this idea of having your aspiration scoring the picture that you want it to be because 
in the end, picture will only support what it is. And um, there's plenty of awesome scores that Jerry did that are either too low in the mix or too chopped up or too edited or thrown out that um, really takes a toll, I think, on the creator. Uh, So I keep that in my mind, and I try to keep a distance from, a certain emotional distance from pictures unless I really respond to them. And those that I do, I go full in. And those that I see that for whatever reason, we're not seeing eye to eye. My vision is not, I try to gauge it early on. That, and then I look at what I need to do to service the picture, to get out unscathed and to stay, keep myself from getting jaded. Do you have a favorite Jerry story? Something that you tell people? Um, well, there's a lot of Jerry stories, but I, so I was in a, a class at USC. Um, actually Chris Beck was in my class mm. and, um, he, uh, often would come in sort of grumpy and one day he was particularly grumpy. It's like kids today, nobody knows how to write a melody. Why, why, why is that? Nobody writes a melody. I want a 24 bar melody, you know, something that has a a theme repeats, has a B theme, comes back to the A. And at the time he was working on uh, a movie called Matinee. It was an interesting class. He would be working on the movie. He would give the students in the class the same movie to work on. Hmm. Like we'd all have scenes. And then it was great because we work on our scenes. He'd go to record and he would put up some of our cues with, you know, to, so we could hear him with the uh, with the orchestra. Wow. And we were always, we were always, you know, sort of floored and be like, ah, shit, you know, it's the wrong job. I should be doing something else. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, again, the simplest way, we'd be writing around the block, you know, trying to figure out these complex solutions. And he, he was always succinct and simple and perfect for the scene. But in this one movie matinee, there's a character played by John Goodman and for me, I saw him as sort of this larger-than-life sort of shady guy. Um, and I wrote a tango for him. And so I remember when we recorded it afterwards, Jerry just looks at me out off the podium, conducted, and he says, son of a bitch, he says, that's what I should have done. <laughs> And I was like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so yeah. great. What a yeah. great compliment from a teacher. That was, yeah. You also just reminded me um, something that I'd never even conceived of as possible, either technically or musically, you did on The Omen. Do you know of which I speak, the cool thing you did on The Omen? The piano pedal? Yeah. Oh. So awesome. You want to? Just describe that. Is that, that. the cue you so, sent me? I, I think it is, yeah. It's a little hidden behind drums, but you yeah, can hear it. I hear, hear it. it. 
what are we hearing? There's, there's another there's another cue where it's there more exposed. Is. Yes, um, it's the cue where he's riding the tricycle. The tricycle, yes. Tricycle uh, scene. Shit, it has a title. I forget what it is. Um, Murderous kid on trike. <laughs> yeah. Mia Farrow but, sends him to kind of yes down kill, the hallway. Kill his mother. Kill his mother. Yeah, um, yeah. There is very exposed in the beginning. Yeah. You can hear it, but <sighs> I have to say it's that sound. I missed working for John Moore because. You know, I know his films, you know, might have some problems or whatever, but I've never met a more enthusiastic. She was. Um, both positively and negatively. There's no doubt about whether he liked something or didn't like it. And if he liked it, he would jump up. He would be, like, pumping the air with his fists. He'd be, like, screaming. If he didn't like it, he'd be like, you know, what? You know, this is crap, whatever. But <laughs> when he liked it, so just unambiguous. He was, I, I love working for him, and he really inspired me on the omen to explore stuff like i was like i showed him one day i was like i was thinking of you know sort of this diabolical breath type sound and when you press the pedal and release it it becomes not only rhythmical but you hear the sustain of all the strings and um it almost has like a breath like sound it does you the pedal releases all the dampers of the piano strings yeah. and you hear the kind of sound inside the cabinet for a minute. Yeah. And then you redamp it almost like a breath. Like a, exactly. And when I played that for him, he went over the moon and we were like, all right, well, this is definitely a sound. Yeah. But you use. sampled it and made it rhythmic. Yeah. And turn that into drums, which I could hear in that cue. Yeah. It was There's behind an, the drums. Yeah, yeah. In that one. Yeah. But, uh, it yeah. was freaky. That was that was fun. We're going to talk a little bit more about horror, some scream stuff, and also A Quiet Place. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get to that. And Perfect. much more with Marco Beltrami. Stick around. Hey, Matt Schrader here, director of SCORE, of film music documentary. For the latest news from the film music world, follow us on Facebook. Just search SCORE, a film music documentary. Or let us know who you want to hear next on the show on Twitter, at SCORE the Podcast. Hey, this is Chris Lennertz, and you're listening to SCORE the Podcast. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here with Marco Beltrami. You're, this is uh, one of the cool cues from Scream. Trouble in Woodsboro? Yeah. yeah. I always This cue always stood out to me, even when I first saw the, the film, because it's, it's very ex- experimental. There's so many different types of sounds. It's not the standard kind of horror sound you would hear. Um well, it's the first horror movie I'd ever seen. Really? <laughs> yeah. So you had nothing to you, kind of say. You had say. no basis. Yeah. No. I had no idea of what a horror movie was supposed to be or anything. I, I remember being in the first screening with Wes, and the beginning of the movie is all these self-referential jokes, I guess, about other horror movies, Nightmare on Elm Street and... Uh, Halloween and all that, and I didn't get any of them. So I was sitting there very self-consciously not laughing next to Wes, who was, I think, wondering, like, what's going on? And I had to tell him, Wes, this is the first horror movie I've ever seen. How did you get into a room with Wes Craven and not have any, have ever seen a horror movie? You know, Scream was a low-budget movie. Um, It was the beginning of, they were just opening this Dimension branch at... um, Miramax. Miramax, yeah, yeah, run by Bob Weinstein. And um, 
Wes was tr- having trouble finding a composer. You know, I, I, I don't know for what reason. I had done very little at this point. I had done a, um, a short movie for some students at USC. The people, the kids at USC that I did this movie for went on and there was a radio show back then called The Silver Screen, I think it was called. And they were interviewed on it. They were asked about the score because it was the music was really featured in their short movie. And let's see what happened. They, they Wes Craven's assistant happened to be listening to the podcast and then was like, well, maybe Wes, we should try you know somebody else. So they asked me the next day. They somehow got my number and they said, would you put together a demo for this? And I, I didn't have anything that I thought was appropriate for – for a horror movie in an orchestral venue. I had a few concert pieces that I had little snippets of that might work, but they, so I wrote some things, but they were unorchestral. I was like, instead of making this an orchestral demo and trying to copy like, uh, you know, John Williams or anything like that, I, um, I'm going to lean into the fact that I don't have an orchestra and I'm just going to rely on, the sounds that I have. This is before I started making sounds. So these are all stock sounds from different libraries. Uh, but I'm just going to put together what I can. And I played it for Wes, and he thought it was really refreshing to hear a demo that stood out from all these fake orchestral sample things that he didn't really want in his movie anyway. So um, I met with him. We had a really good meeting. We he screened the movie for me there. That's when I, when I when I sat next to him and I was sort of embarrassed. Um, and then he said, "Listen, I can't just hire you for this movie because I don't know what you know. But if you like, and this was on a Friday afternoon that I met him, he said you can take home the opening of the movie. It's a scene where Drew Barrymore dies. It's a thirteen minute long cue, the opening of the movie." Take the, this home, and if you can bring me back a score for it on Monday, then we'll play through it and see how it goes. So I was like, great. And I walked out of that that meeting, and I was like, fuck. What the fuck am I going to do? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so um, I'm stressed out just hearing that. So I called up Chris Beck, who had a studio, and I didn't. Nice. And I said, Chris, what are you doing this weekend? He's like, I don't know. I'm, I said, can I use your studio? And he said, yeah. So I went over to his place. I spent, I think I camped out at his for the whole weekend. And I recorded what I could. I I did what I could. I'd never seen a horror movie. I just, I, to me, it was the scariest thing watching, <laughs> that- you know, this girl get chased around. And so I scored it like, like I was in her shoes. You know, I, nice. I didn't have any references and I uh, I went back to Wes, played it for him, and he was like, wow, this is different, very different from what I would expect. He said, but we're having a screening in New Jersey this week, a test screening. I'm, I want to cut your cue into the beginning of the movie, and let's see how it goes. And the movie went to New Jersey, Secaucus, New Jersey, I get a call from Wes after the screening. He says, the movie got an 89, which was really good for what was way over what they expected. So if you want the job, it's yours. Jeez. And I was oh. like, oh, that's great. 
And then I, I have to say, I spent every penny. It was a $30,000 package. Yeah. Um, I spent every penny and plus more um, recording it. We did it at the old Warner Brothers before they transformed it. Mm. And um, I had, I got, I even got Wes and the producers involved. There was a, one of the things in the score was um, I wanted it to be eerie. So with the string harmonics, I have whistling and I needed a whole bunch of whistlers and we didn't have it. So I said, who can whistle in the production? A few people, including Wes, raised their hands. So I put them out with the violins. Fabulous. And and then he felt really close to the cue too. So it uh, they they played, Very smart. They, they played it well in the movie, and it was it was great. Oh, and we have Ghostface staring at us. That's from the original Scream. Oh, that's the actual yeah. mask. There was a few of them, but yeah, Wes gave me he gave me, after we finished. I think the third or fourth Scream movie. Yeah. Did that movie coming out? just become your calling card did the phone it did. light up it, it it all of a sudden I became the horror guy at dimension and right after that i did mimic with guillermo del toro i did night watch with ola bornadel a danish director i did um halloween h2o uh you know it was a reboot with jamie lee curtis of the halloween series i did i started being like their go-to guy and um, that's how I met like Randy Spenlove. Uh, I think it was on scary movie. It was, um, you know, it, spoofs came out on it and mm. it, it, it really became my, my entree into learning about the business. And I just thought at that point, all producers and studio heads are this crazy because I had nothing to compare them to. Mm. I had no idea that other executives, when they're flying cross country and they ran out of cigarettes, they'd it would land the plane. Nice. So, um, you know, that's just the way, and they would drag me around. You know, I was on the plane with them going to screenings and I was at my brother's wedding in Eastern Long Island, uh, middle of the wine country out there. And, um, the next thing, and I'm, I'm the best man at the wedding. Next thing I know, I, my brother's Alexis, he turns and he says, what are those four black SUVs doing in the background? I turn and look, and they had tracked me down from New York, and they said, you need to come back with us. Are you in the FBI? Or? You need to come back with us. We're, we're in the middle of a picture, and we're stuck, and we need a score. So I had to leave the wedding and go back to New York in there with them in the SUV. So it was a crazy time, but it was, it was fun. I That's love kind that. of a badass yeah, it is. thing it, to happen, it's, though. Um, like, I got to go with this entourage here. I got to get going. It's also something that, I had a conversation yesterday with a young composer who was complaining that they have something in New York on a Thursday and something in L.A. on a Saturday, and they don't know how they're going to be able to do something they were just asked to do, which is could they do one session in Chicago on Friday afternoon? So they're kind of going to pass on it. Oh, what yeah. do I think? I said, Dude, you do the New York date. You get up Friday morning, you fly to Chicago, you do the session, you go back to O'Hare, and you're in L.A. Saturday, and welcome to it. If you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Yeah. And what those... You have to go full bore. You got to go full bore, and those guys yeah. coming out in their SUVs, why am I not surprised? It's sort of, you've signed up for the gig. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. as we all know, it's almost like with session players, if you pass once and you let the sub go in... Oh. I wasn't about to do that. Because if no. you said, I'm going to stay with my brother's wedding, which yeah. would have been a perfectly wonderful and soulful thing to do, they'd yep. say, okay, who's next on the list? Cause yeah. It's the Tom Brady story right there. Yeah. 
someone goes out, another guy comes in, never see the other guy again. And never. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the only time. They tracked me down in a bar once in Santa Monica, like, That'll you show know, you. At, at night, you know. I, um, it was... Were uh, you wearing a tracker? You would <laughs> think, they seemed you to would, know how to find you. You would think so. It was it was really unbelievable. It it was sort of a, a different period. I... I um, I think I think also it was a different period. There was a frenzy in the former era, the eighties, nineties. There was money, yeah, to throw around. People could lance planes to get cigarettes. They'd send jets to pick you up on a set. There was mania, Um, and if we need the composer now, it's not. Hey, can you come tomorrow? It's some producer felt empowered to say, find him. Bring them back. Yeah. I mean, I just look at the way we... So my second film, Mimic, we recorded that up at Skywalker. I think we had six days with the orchestra and two days with the choir and, you know, and unlimited mixing. And, like, that now would be on a package. You got to do it in two days with 40 pieces, you know. It's like... So So you're feeling the change in feature film budgets and also trickles down to television work as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't do too much TV, a Did, few, yeah. a few things, but uh, it's those. You know, you have a few players. It's not like The Simpsons or something. Well, but, you said um, with the Quiet Place, it was pretty small, pretty budget. lean, pretty lean. Yeah, it was a small budget. We recorded here with that, and um, I don't know. I had maybe twenty musicians. How involved was John Krasinski in the score? Uh, he was very involved. He was, um, he, you know, everything had to be approved by him. Um, and we, uh, you know, we started off with a collaboration. He would send me songs that were inspiring to him when he was working on the script. And, um, I would send him music and he would say, Oh, I like this. This is even before we tried anything with picture. Mm. Um, and, we would go back and forth like that. And then when we started scoring, he came out here a couple of times. Uh, I went to New York a couple of times to play things. And, um, uh, yeah, it was very, very, he was very involved with it. Is he musical? Um, not in a trained way. Um, he has a sensibility about music, about what's working, what he likes and what he wants to hear. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, he's not like a pianist or anything like that. I know his wife, Emily Blunt, uh, is, has a very musical ear, and she actually, uh, from what he told me, that um, that she responded to some of the music as well. I think she, I think he mentioned that she used to play cello, or maybe she still mm. does. So, um, so there is music in in their family, in their yeah. household. Um, she sings, and she right? sings, yeah. yeah. Did you have an idea of um, the sound of the monster in A Quiet Place? Like you mentioned when you left the theater for iRobot, you were like, I know what I'm going for here. Did How long did it take oh. for you to develop that sound? Well, the, uh, sorry, when you say the sound for the monster, there was a very specific sound that the sound d- department was working on with the way the ear and the monster opened up, which I did not, in response to that, I did not know what that would be until they had the visual for that, which was not until, I think we were already scoring. So it was like, or a day before we were scoring. So there was a lot of um, working within that after 
words because it really was important for the music to work with the sound. But um, in terms of the sound of the score and what it was going to be, that was something that um, I definitely had ideas. Um, one of the things, one of the ideas that I had was that um, there's no music, there's no sound. Uh, maybe they have a memory of what a piano would sound mm. like, but perhaps it's not accurate. Perhaps it's something out of tune about it. Isn't there a detuned piano? So I, so I, 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 ex- I yeah. experimented with that, taking the all the black notes on the piano and detuning them by a quarter step. Freaky, freaky deaky. Oh, it's so terrifyingly good. Were there moments in this movie where maybe you had ideas for score and and then decided just to go silent or vice versa? Yeah, definitely. It was definitely, you know, it it reminded me when I started working on it, almost like a experimental school project. Like there's this concept. We're not going to have sound in the movie or there's no speaking. There's no dialogue in the movie. So what are we going to do? And um, you have to try things, you know, any sound that you make, any musical statement is going to call almost more attention to itself than in a, a regular movie because the silence was sort of absolute and, uh, and playing with that, that expectation for what music and sound should do. And I think the, the sound guys on the movie did an amazing job with that. Um, being in sync with them, being in sync with what they were doing was very important. So it was, yeah, it was a big experiment on everybody's part. I also and, hear the Jerry Goldsmith three note thing. It wasn't three notes exactly, but it's a very simple idea, which is cosmically effective just hearing the spooky boom, ding, ding. I can't sing it in tune because it's not in tune, <laughs> but it's sort of, okay, you're going to repeat that. Now you're freaking me out. Yeah. Cause that, I don't know what those notes are. It's interesting. Also, I had the thought while I was listening to it this time of, I wonder what that would feel like over the Drew Barrymore scene in Scream. Scream. Here you are, I don't know how many years later, making really scary, genuine horror movie music. And is it specific? It's so scary on its own. Would it work over other horror films? I, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I think before. Well, they're we- making a number two, right? They are. Quiet Place yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. The movie we did. It's, I think they're calling it a really quiet place. <laughs> a silent <laughs> place. Yeah, that that movie was exploded. I yeah. mean, I I'm sure when you make a movie on that budget and that nobody expects it to do the numbers that it did. Are you, were you surprised? Yeah, I was I mean, I I I think everybody thought when the movie was done cuz everybody put a lot into it that it was something special. But even so, um yeah, it was it was a really nice surprise. and free solo. Yeah, I'm, speaking of horror, so yeah. that's I think that's actually I have to say the scariest movie I've ever done. That's amazing. That's really remarkable to hear, and I totally understand why. Because I was sweating. I was too. Yeah. And I, you know, I've gone to horror movies, and you kind of jump, or you know, whoever you're with maybe buries their head in your shoulder. Oh, I can't watch this. Yeah. 
free solo, I looked down and my palms were drenched. I was really sweating. Of, yeah. Oh, no. I Even mean, if you know, the, I've been in the theater with Alex, the climber, next to me. And I'm still sweating. Like, is the guy going right, to no, survive? I, I watched interviews with him before I saw the movie, and I'm like, I know he's alive. What is wrong with me? Yeah. But God, yeah. just knowing that, and then there's those little moments where his foot slips, and you're just like, oh, uh, God. Yeah. What uh, When you first saw that film, um, I mean, there's got to be a million things running through your mind. There's beautiful scenery, but there's also this frightening real-life danger. And yeah. there's an emotional relationship. At, yeah. At the yeah. There's all too. kinds of things going on in that. Documentaries are funny because a lot of the story, you know, they weren't sure how it was all. Who who knew how the relationship was going to work out, and and uh, and they were filming this thing. I actively pursued this because I was such a fan of Jimmy Chin, the the filmmaker yeah. from his last movie Meru. I don't know if I you, saw it, which you know was about um, climbing this peak yeah. in the Himalayas, which is maybe the Technically, it's like the most difficult. It's I not the so. highest, but... Second or third highest mountain. And Yeah. And being totally in awe of this guy and just when hearing that he was making free solo, I'm not a climber. I don't know anything about it, but I really wanted to meet him. I wanted to get inside his head. I wanted to see what makes him tick. And, and one of the, the greatest parts of the movie was going there and spending two days with, with uh, um, Jimmy and Chai, his wife, and just talking about the process. And Where's there? In New York. Oh. Um, and be to- being totally inspired by the whole thing. And Did um, they have the movie completely assembled for you to show you? They had an assembly, but it changed. It changed a lot because it's really, it was really hard in that opening cut that they had for someone that's not a climber to get a sense of the danger and everything that went into it. So they went back, and now in the beginning of the movie, they talk about the history of the mountain, all the people that have mm-hmm. tried climbing, the the problems, the problem areas on the mountain, the p- potential pitfalls, all the stuff, which wasn't in originally, or it wasn't mm-hmm. in the way it is now. Smart. And I remember seeing it and being a little bit, like wanting to know more. I was like, cause I, I'm not a climber and, and all these guys, everyone that made the movie, everyone that, that shot the movie, they're all, they're all climbers. So it's, they take it for granted. So, um, I remember talking to them about that and then there was, a, we sort of went on hiatus. I, I started working on ideas. I had an idea, um, right after seeing that movie too. Um, mm. but, um, as I was working on it, they were reconfiguring the thing. And then I think like, Eight months later, I got a new, completely new picture. Huh. Did you go out to Yosemite? No, I've never been there. Really? No. It's it's even scarier when you've seen those cliffs in person. It's like I can't I can't even imagine. Just, I I did do a oh. VR VR Yosemite thing that they had, and I couldn't stand up. I had to sit down; otherwise, I'd fall over. <laughs> that uh, play the yeah, what a fabulous piece of music. The the closing of this film, with the music and the the visuals and everything. Oh man, it's just when he's or when he's completing the climb is just incredible. It's uh, 
you feel good for him after this. I'm, it must have been freaky shooting this, knowing that, like, oh. this may not end happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things about this doc is that it, it sort of faces these existential questions right in it. They're like, we're filming this. What are we going to do if... If. Yeah. I think they even, they say it. They say it. In the, well, one guy feels yeah. badly that he may be witnessing his pal's demise. Well, and they had to... And the cinematographer couldn't even look through the lens. Right. They had to restructure the way they laid out the, the cinematographers at a certain point, right? Because they were worried they were going to screw him up. Right. Yeah. They didn't want to have him distracted. Yeah. yeah which, could you imagine? What even the hero. cameraman who sneezed when he... Oh. <laughs> That's just as nerve I felt just as bad for the camera people yeah. as a as a cinematographer. I was like, I don't even those guys are focused on him, but they're also like hanging from the side of a mountain. That whole project just made me want to throw yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. theme also I realized today there's it's kind of epic and also there's a little Americana there's a little the out west feeling. It's not necessarily copeland but it's sort of a there's it's the elegy of what it is that guy's doing it's a very this is the pioneer uh, who is going to look in uncharted lands and that theme sort of could almost be at the end of a western Hmm. and i and i just i heard it for the first time here i know you did 310 to yuma and you've done some westerns um well thank you that but it's a really that thematic thing sort of is a heartfelt end of a of a kind of romantic epic American saga, which is free solo was yeah and um and it won the Oscar, yeah, and I remember right after I saw the movie, I climbed the stairs in my house really carefully, <laughs> I just thought I don't want to slip. That's what I thought about. I'm like, my danger is that I might stab myself with a pencil, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know when I'm writing some music. And, oh, and these guys are, you know, on the side of a cliff. Right, I might know. butt dial somebody unintentionally. Yeah. <laughs> we all have our things that make us scared. I mean, you ride a motorcycle. I'm, I, don't, I wouldn't do it. You still riding your bike? Every Sunday I go to the track with my son. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, Marco, it's been amazing to have this conversation. I... As I said, we've worked together and done stuff, but I always learn, and I always feel slightly amazed by what you do because it's very clear when you say, oh, I had an idea. You had to come away and create something out of nothing when you saw those movies. You had to go home and make something exist that didn't exist when you, before the screening, and that hats off. That's why we don't sleep. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and we're excited for Ford v. Ferrari. That comes out in theaters in November? I think November. And what yeah. reviews it's getting. Can't wait. Boy, that's going to be a huge one. Another huge one. Um, Fox, yeah, we missed. I missed seeing you there. Yeah. Well, Go thank ahead. you very much. Um, as I say uh, to my wife, um, you know, Seven years ago, I had an instinct. It was time to go (laughs) because, you know, now that it's all been bought by Disney, boy, did I see the writing on the walls. Just uh, another seven years, and I better get out now. Um, Well, Marco, we want to thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for dragging your butts out here. Oh, it was a beautiful drive. Yeah, beautiful drive. We loved it. This has been Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. We want to thank composer Carol. 
for helping us out. Robert Kraft, uh, we want to remind our listeners to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and to subscribe if you like what you're hearing. And also stick around after this ending. We're going to play you a little cue from Spitfire to show you how you can elevate your music. Robert. Hey, man. What a great treat to be at Pianella. Marco, a million thanks. And I'll see you at the World Soundtrack Awards coming up in October. Awesome. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Hey, SCORE listeners, we're so excited for the support of Spitfire Audio, partnering with us here at SCORE, the podcast. Oh, wow. You like that, Robert? I like that. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer, the Bernard Herrmann Estate, and now the BBC Symphony uh, to create these sample packages and libraries to elevate your music. And if you want to jump in on an incredible offer, it's is it one-third off, Kenny? It is one-third off. The promo code is SCORE. And uh, right now we're going to play you a cue that they provided us to hear some of the different types of sounds in the Spitfire audio packages. Check it out. You can get all sorts of different sounds in their packages and sample libraries. Just go to spitfireaudio.com, check out their selection, and remember this promo code SCORE is exclusive to our listeners, so take advantage of the deal while it lasts. I thought you were going to say something. Um, I am. I'm saying yes, baby. (laughs) (laughs) We're leaving this in. (laughs) you had your finger up like i'm gonna i have a point to make i have a point to make this is a good deal yes baby (laughs) 
And that T-shirt does not come with your order. That's just right. So you know. uh, SpitfireAudio.com. Check it out. Use the promo code SCORE and save a third off. We'll see you next week.